This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and 920-1260 and 1420-AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On today. Our guest is Sally Dickerson, PhD. She is a professor of psychology at Pace University in Manhattan, and she's also a yoga teacher in Brooklyn. You probably know you could use a little more time just sitting and breathing deeply. And today we're going to find out exactly what stress does to us and how a mindfulness practice really can help. Here's Sally's story. I actually started out as a pre-med major. I thought that my contribution might be as a physician, working with people in their health in that context. But when I got to college, I took an introductory psychology class. And the instructor that I had it was a leading expert in health psychology. And so that really kind of started me down this road of wanting to learn more about how psychological factors can influence our health. And so ultimately, I ended up not going to medical school, kind of switching gears and pursuing a PhD in social and health psychology. I really like the field because it allows me to kind of integrate health and wellness, but also look at it from a psychological lens, looking at questions like how our stressors and our experiences and our emotions may influence our body and ultimately influence health. Where did the yoga part come from? I started a yoga practice when I was in graduate school, and I found that it was a really nice release, a way to kind of escape from the kind of busy PhD context that I was in. Then throughout my career, I moved on to my first academic position, worked through a couple of academic administrative positions. I continued my yoga practice, but my work on stress reactivity and my yoga practice up until a few years ago had been kind of separate. In 2019, I decided to take a step further with my yoga and I did a a 200-hour yoga teacher training program. And it was really at that point, I think, that I started trying to integrate these kind of two components of my life and thinking about how we might be able to use yoga as a way to help us better regulate our stress responses. I went on to get my 500-hour certification in yoga teacher training and have now begun to um, kind of think about research and application of yoga in my academic life, too. So it's been an interesting kind of integration of those two worlds. We're talking to Sally Dickerson, and I think, you know, side note, integration is one of the, it's like the secret sauce of life. If you can (laughs) gather up all the parts of yourself, you know, and use it together in one place, you kind of get the best of everything. But I think it's so common for people to keep like their academic over here and their yoga over there. You know, I did it for a long time. I had the radio Casey on one side and the Reiki Casey on the other. And this, (laughs) this show is those two things coming together. So integration, I think, is like, you know, a little magic happens there when we pull it all together. What do you think about that? 
hundred percent. It's so wonderful when you can kind of align your focus in that way. Now, I talk to the woo-woo on this show a lot. So I know like when you're doing yoga, you're aligning your chakras to the universe or something <laughs> like that. But you can tell me what's actually going on in our bodies. What's the neurological component that we want to bring into yoga? You know, I think that there's two different questions um, embedded in that one. The first would be kind of like what happens acutely in a yoga class? What is happening physiologically when you are in a yoga class practicing yoga? I think the second question kind of embedded in that is what are the more kind of long-term effects on health of a yoga practice? So if we uh, conduct a yoga intervention study, for example, where participants are practicing yoga over a longer period of time, what are the benefits that we may see there? So I think that those are the kind of two ways that we can kind of think about the physiology of yoga. One of the key things that I think is really interesting about yoga, as well as breath and meditation, too, we have our sympathetic nervous system, right, that gets activated in response to threat. This is kind of the classic fight-flight response um, that we're probably familiar with. We also have an additional system called the parasympathetic nervous system. And while the sympathetic nervous system is kind of about this activation and mobilization in response to threat, the parasympathetic system is all about restoration. And what I think is really interesting is there's some really nice work demonstrating that the breath, deep, sustained, even breathing, like you would do in a yoga class, is kind of one of our easiest ways to access this parasympathetic nervous system. So when we are breathing in that uh, kind of slow, controlled way, we can activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which in turn then can lead to kind of a relaxation response. It can lead to decreases in some of the sympathetic changes. So decreases decreases in heart rate, decreases in blood pressure, and things like that. So the breath can be a tool that we can utilize in order to access this kind of restorative response. When anybody gets on my Reiki table and I get them in a good place of relaxation, their belly starts to gurgle so much and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And I say, don't, you know, that's That's your parasympathetic nervous system. That's you relaxing. But I really, like, I know that much when people relax, their belly gurgles. (laughs) But um, so our sympathetic nervous system, that's flight, fight, freeze, reaction, reaction, or non-reaction, right? Which is also a reaction. Exactly, yeah. And the parasympathetic, is that all about the opposite of reaction? Is that all about releasing? You can think of it as kind of a restorative rejuvenation almost system. So it's associated with processes like digestion, with kind of long-term more growth and repair kinds of processes. The things that you wouldn't necessarily engage in if you were in the middle of an acutely threatening situation, right? Right. Right. These are things that happen when you have downtime, you feel safe, and you're not getting those kind of threat cues. All right. So when we are in this state of restoration, because we don't feel under attack, and our parasympathetic nervous system starts to nourish us, I guess, am I saying this right? Sure. Yeah, that's great. We can find this benefit. I think we should look for this benefit of restoring our parasympathetic nervous 
nervous system. And one of the ways we can do that is in yoga. True? Correct. So the the breath can activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And since the breath is such a key component of many yoga practices, you know, that's one way we can access it. Also through kind of more restorative types of postures. So the shavasana that we take at the end of class, for example, is the perfect example of when our bodies can rest and the parasympathetic nervous system may be able to have a chance to be activated. All right. So it's regeneration. There's probably cellular work going on there. You said digestion. What else can we associate with our parasympathetic nervous system? So the parasympathetic nervous system is also really interesting because it connects to other important systems. So, for example, there's connections between the parasympathetic nervous system and um, our immune system. And there is evidence that activation of the parasympathetic nervous system can regulate important immunologic responses. So, for example, when we have higher activity in the parasympathetic nervous system, we can actually see downregulation or decreases in um, inflammation. And Mm. so inflammation is a really critical kind of immunologic response that chronic inflammation has been linked with a wide variety of negative outcomes in terms of uh, different diseases. So a practice that can potentially reduce inflammation would also be another really important mechanism and potential pathway in which yoga could influence health. Oh, I love this. So relaxing. (laughs) I do, I do, I do. Relaxing, restoring. And one of the benefits of that is you can see a downshift in inflammation because we all know that inflammation is like the super bad guy. That's like the little burglar in our body wearing the mask, you know, looking to wreak havoc. Decreasing inflammation is a good thing. These days we have uh, experienced some stress. You know, in these pandemic little, yeah. days, right? <laughs> and um, and you can see it. You know, we've mentioned so many times, like in the way people are driving on the road or the way people are reacting on social media, everybody's like all jacked up on uh, like cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone that can be released in different kind of contexts. Most of my own research has looked at the stress hormone cortisol. So it's kind of a hormone that's near and dear to my heart, so to speak. So a lot of the work that my colleagues and I have done has looked at what are the specific stressors that may be capable of eliciting cortisol. In order to look at this question, we often bring people into the lab and have them go through a stressor of some sort. So like a mental arithmetic task or a uh, public speaking task. And then we look at their physiology. We look at how they respond to these different tasks. So one of the things that we've been really interested in is whether the social context of a stressor may be an important quality characteristic that is capable of triggering the cortisol response. We found in a number of studies that when people feel like they could be judged by others, criticized, somebody could kind of feel like they were doing a bad job or weren't kind of living up to expectations, these types of contexts seem to be 
be really capable of eliciting a cortisol response. So when we are in experiences in which we feel kind of this judgment and evaluation, these are ones that are capable of eliciting cortisol reactivity. Now, of course, those aren't the only uh, kind of type that can. And there's also evidence that uncontrollability is another kind of key component that is capable of eliciting cortisol. And if we think about all of the uncontrollable kind of situations that we've been encountering in our lives lately, you know, that may be a potent elicitor of cortisol. So when we feel judged, even if it's silent judgment, we're stressed enough to release cortisol. So the studies that we have done, we've manipulated the social context. So we bring participants into the lab. We have them do a speech. So we simply have them pretend to be interviewing for a job. But we manipulate the context so that some of the participants are alone in a room. They are just kind of delivering their speech with nobody present. In other conditions, though, we will have evaluators present, these judges that don't display any kind of positive facial expressions. They're taking notes. We train them in order to kind of be non-responsive. So what we find is that the social evaluative context, when those individuals are present in this judging manner, this can elicit cortisol reactivity. Whereas the participants delivering the same speech, but alone in a room, they say that it's challenging. They say that it's stressful. They don't really enjoy doing the, the, the task, but we don't necessarily see increases in cortisol. This is beautiful evidence for why we should all be nice to each other. (laughs) Exactly. One of many reasons, right? Right? Because we can affect somebody's chemistry just by being mean. Wow. Um, One of the other things about cortisol is that, you know, in these laboratory situations or the context that we've been talking about, these are kind of short-term elicitations, right? You're in this experience, you're in the lab, you feel evaluated and judged, and then your levels can return back to normal. But of course, like, not all situations are these kinds of acute stressors that have this um, necessary beginning and end. So that's kind of a key difference between the acute stress literature, where we're really trying to identify what are the specific conditions that can activate this response or who are the people who may be more responsive in that situation. I think that that's important because there's been some research that has been done looking at more the long-term effects. If you bring somebody in and and go through that kind of laboratory situation and then follow them over time, follow up on with them a couple of years later, it turns out that those patterns of reactivity that you see in the lab actually predict health outcomes. We can gain some knowledge about potential risk if we know how people are reactive. So I think that that's actually one of the really beautiful things about yoga and meditation. Um, There have been some really great studies that have um, looked at this question of whether yoga and meditation can help us regulate our responses to stressors. This is not work that I've done, but I uh, draw on this uh, work a lot. you know, if somebody comes into the lab, completes a yoga class, and then uh, subsequently goes through one of these laboratory stressors, we tend to see a better regulated response after yoga. There have been yoga intervention studies with a similar outcome where people randomly assigned to a yoga intervention for a period of time then show a better regulated uh, response um, to a subsequent stressor afterwards. And I think that this is such a beautiful example of how 
a yoga or meditation practice can help us off the mat right. too. You know, shifting maybe the way that we evaluate or appraise a situation, allowing our physiology to be better regulated in the subsequent stressors that we may experience. Right. And getting that peaceful feeling off the mat and integrating it into your life and making a different choice, maybe a non-reactive choice off the mat is kind of a really big part of uh, the health benefits of yoga, right? Exactly. If we have too many stressors and too much cortisol in our body constantly, what happens? With chronic stress, if we are encountering situations in which the system is kind of activated over and over and over, it can lead to dysregulation. So one thing that can happen in the context of chronic stress is that normally cortisol follows a diurnal pattern. So when we wake up in the morning, we get kind of a big surge in cortisol, and then cortisol levels decline throughout the day, reaching the lowest levels, typically when we are asleep. Chronic stress, though, can kind of lead to dysregulation in that profile. So instead of having that nice kind of rhythmicity to it, um, with this increase in the morning and decrease throughout the day, kind of a, a steep slope to it, if you will, our cortisol can become flatter. So it's less likely to show that kind of slope, that drop throughout the day. And the implications of this have been other studies then linking these flattened cortisol profiles to negative health outcomes. So it's been associated in uh, research with risk of all-cause mortality, as well as mortality within specific disease uh, categories. So women with uh, breast cancer, for example, who have these more flattened profiles, um, there was a study showing that they were more likely to die quicker compared to women with more kind of regulated cortisol profiles. It's also been associated with other negative health outcomes. So trying to figure out ways to regulate these profiles in the context of chronic stress can be beneficial in terms of intervening in this link between physiology and health. All right, Sally Dickerson, how much yoga do we need to make a shift? (laughs) You know, that's an excellent question. I would argue that a little is better than none, (laughs) for sure. Even just taking a few minutes out of your day to breathe um, can be a really good start. I think it's also important to know that there are a variety of different types of yoga. You know, a lot of people have this misconception that yoga is all about like crazy poses that people post on Instagram or something like that. But yoga can be done in a chair. There's restore of yoga. There are all types of different yoga that can be really accessible for everybody, really, regardless of, you know, fitness level or any kind of mobility issues that people may have. So I would also just want to make the point that there is a style and a type of yoga that's a good match for just about everybody. You know, a lot of the intervention studies that have shown benefit um, have been maybe two or three times a week for uh, 10 or 12 weeks. That's just a kind of ballpark from my reading of the literature. But I think it does suggest that you don't have to have a a six-day-a-week yoga practice in order to see benefit. Some of these studies have shown kind of a dose-response effect, though, where the more people attend the classes, potentially the the better the response. But that hasn't been the case in every study, and there may be a kind of upper limit on that. But I think that that's a really important question for kind of this next stage of research to try to understand 
unpack what type of yoga may be more, most beneficial in certain contexts or for certain individuals, and how much do we need to see the benefit? And even just bringing that yoga feeling just with you. Exactly. Into yeah. the day and remembering what it feels like to relax and breathe like that. This is great stuff, Sally Dickerson. I know you have a couple of talks coming up in New Jersey and on Long Island. And do you ever teach yoga? So I am uh, teaching classes now at a beautiful brand new studio in Brooklyn that just opened. It's called One Yoga House, and um, I've been teaching some Friday afternoon community classes there. So I'd welcome anybody to come check out the studio and my classes or any of the teachers there. Wonderful. What else do our listeners need to know? One of the things that I think is important to stress is, you know, this pandemic time has been has been a lot. And we see the mental health effects. There have been studies documenting increases in depression and anxiety. So I want to kind of highlight that if people are experiencing that, that you're not alone. And also, there are individual differences that may make people more vulnerable for some of those symptoms. So I think now more than ever, when we are in this kind of uncontrollable, uncertain world that may be associated right now with higher levels of stress, depression, and anxiety, that we that we do take the time to engage in restorative activities. Breath, meditation, yoga are certainly... Um, great ones for that. But, you know, taking a walk, getting outside, being with friends, um, these are all important ways that we can kind of engage in self-care and help ourselves through this challenging circumstance in time. Sally Dickerson, PhD. She has a couple of talks coming up in Long Island and New Jersey. She's a professor in the psychology department at Pace University in Manhattan, and she'd love to see you at a yoga class in Brooklyn. For more, visit sallydickerson.com. And what really, really struck me as Sally was talking was how the human reacts to stress and how the human reacts to judgment. And I thought about all the craziness you can put yourself through on social media, right? Social media can be wonderful, I'm sure, but there's so much of it that causes so much stress and so much judgment. And so many people feel such pressure to put out the most beautiful picture-perfect things on Instagram and package their family just so, and then maybe check back to see how many likes it got or didn't get. And now we know perceived judgment causes stress that affects us physically. And how just being kind, I know it sounds so simple and so trite and so cliche, but just being kind, whether you're in traffic and you're allowing somebody into the flow, or if you're online and you let somebody go ahead of you, or or just if you have a pleasant look on your face, that little pebble causes a ripple of positive energy out in the world. And I know we say we all need it, and I guess the challenge is to be it to be it. I want to tell you a sweet story. I think it's sweet. My niece is a comedian in New York City, and we had a wonderful night. She had a show uh, Monday night in the city. And then I got a text from her on Tuesday saying, thank you so much for coming, because she knows I get up very early. And then she wrote back again. She says, oh my goodness, 20 minutes ago, I must have dropped my wallet out on the sidewalk. She was on her lunch break at work. And and I don't know what to do. And I said, keep your vibration positive. 
Picture the right person finding that wallet. Picture that wallet coming right back to you. That's what I said to her. And then I went to the group on the prayer page, A Circle of Prayer which you can join along with a circle of women. And I said to the the prayers on the page, hey, everybody, Haley may have dropped her wallet on a sidewalk in New York City. Appeal to the angels that that's returned to her. And just a little while later, I got a text from my niece that said, a doorman on Fifth Avenue has my wallet. Now, we don't know if he found it or if someone handed it to him. And he's on the way here to the school where she teaches. He's on the way to return my wallet to me. Doesn't that just put a smile on your face? And when your face is smiling, doesn't that just light up a few neurological pathways in your brain? And I just wanted to share that little story of goodness, because that's good medicine. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Coming up on Saturday night, October 30th, I'm putting together a special little evening in Verplank with psychic Priscilla Kerasi. Find out more at Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Let's all make a little pinky promise to spend more time on the mat or in meditation or just breathing peacefully. As Sally was talking, our thought for the day popped right into my head. This is the thought that I had painted on the blackboard at the pantry. Well, it's not painted. It's, what do you call it, chalk marker? Some lovely teenage artists did this for me. I thought it was the perfect reminder that I needed to have when I was working at the pantry. And the quote is from Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He said, if in our daily lives we can smile, if we can be peaceful and happy, not only we, but everyone will profit from it. This is the most basic kind of peace work. Shine up. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.